Welcome to the Post-Christian Podcast. Our goal is to reframe, simplify, and focus on our mission to make disciples in a post-Christian culture. We discuss reaching new people and raising up leaders while removing the barriers of churchianity. I'm Eric Bryant, one of the executive pastors at Gateway Church in Austin, author of Not Like Me, and resource provider at ericbryant.org. Well, I'm excited to have with me a longtime friend, Derek Webster. How are you, Derek? Doing well, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about your new book, Your Mess, God's Masterpiece. But I also want to spend some time talking about ministry in the season. You're a lead pastor at Grace Point Church, a multi-site, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Naperville, Plainfield, and Geneva, Illinois. Um, yeah, just... Tell me a little bit. Let's start there. What are some of the ways you've been able to continue moving things forward, uh, reaching young adults, reaching kind of the post-Christian crowd in this season of uh, 2020? Yeah, you know, so uh, I got here about seven years ago, and uh, we worked pretty hard on our cultural architecture. And so when the season hit, um you know, who's prepared for something like this, Mm -hmm. but we know that this year for us at least was the great revealer. And I thought, I think it revealed some good things about our, our architecture, about our strategy, about our approach. Um, Honestly, we've grown through this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, We planted a campus in the middle of the year. Our people have responded well. Um, It's interesting in this context, you know, we, uh, there's been a lot of, let me talk you through the anxiety and just remind you that, you know, we're not a people of fear, um, but also civic responsibility and the approach of that. Um, so I did a whole course on justice perspectives this year, of course, you know, with uh, BLM and all of the unrest that's happened this year in the political season. And I lead a congregation that's pretty um, diverse in its views as well. And so it's been a privilege to remind people Diversity is a good thing as long as the unity is in Christ and we're all moving to the same point, which is Christ likeness. So that was, you know, we've always had a hyper focus on spiritual maturity um, at Grace Point, at least since I've been here. And I would say that uh, that this has been one of those years where we've seen the importance of all that focus mm-hmm. on that kind of communication emphasis and discipleship. Wow, that's great. You almost see kind of the payoff for all the years of investment, and which is really beautiful. And, you yeah. know, we met, yeah, we were just reminiscing, you know, back in 2004 in Zurich when you were a missionary overseas. What are some of the skills you used as a missionary that you feel like you also use as a lead pastor that you think would be important for those of us who are in church leadership to 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 use even in this season when we're trying to reach out? What a great question. Um, it's hard to think of skills that I haven't used, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's more difficult to think what skills I've left out only because, <clears throat> so I'm in 30 years of full-time ministry now. My first 10 years were in California, Colorado Springs, um, serving as pastor and, and, um, and that was great. But when I went to Europe in a post-Christian, post-modern context and really genuinely had to start from zero, um, suddenly the there was a lot of aha moments. And one of those was, you know, no mission, no church. You can't float on intention on, you can't 
presume intentionality, mm. especially then. If I wasn't intentionally making a relationship, it just wasn't going to happen. And so as a pastor, the focus is really on, okay, listen, uh, our church exists for a bigger reason than us. And at the same time, God is using us on his mission to mold and to make us into his image. Mm. So if you remove the mission, you remove a lot of the molding. Um, you remove a lot of the fashioning. Mm. And so it's been a relentless focus on saying, okay, uh, God has us here uniquely. Um, God has you here uniquely. You were built for a reason. Um, God can take this mess that we're in. He can turn it into his masterpiece. He can do great things with it. Um, here are some things to remember as we go through it. And so a lot of it from my perspective has been about, let me remind you who you are. Let me remind you that you're on his mission. And let me remind you that no one's really allowed to phone it in. Um, there's this thing called genetic drift uh, where it's a lot of inbreeding. And the challenge I think sometimes in church work in particular is that we can have a proclamation that's outward focus, but really it's a lot of inward kind of breeding. It's a lot of, of inward focus. And the challenge with that with genetic drift is ultimately it leads to not just sickness in gene pools, but a decline. And so uh, it's a really, so I speak to a pretty broad audience from people trying to figure out, you know, whether God is real all the way to people who've been walking with Jesus for 60, 70 years. Mm -hmm. And so the, the beauty of the missional focus is you have to drive to really human, uh, deeply um, connective longing and issues of belonging and identity. So for those, whether they're looking for God, they're struggling with longing, but those who are following God, they're kind of going, okay, where's the star in the, the sky and how do I keep following that? So um, so the themes wind up, I think, being fairly similar, but the approaches are wildly uh, different in that one's a Christian, one's a non-Christian. They're just two different citizenships. So I love being able to speak from one into the other. Yeah, no, that's good. You know, that... Um at least the first time I was in, in Europe uh, with you, you know, we were in Zurich and, and working with church leaders from all over the world in many ways. And, and I think at night we'd watch uh, Dexter. Yeah. Know? Yeah, we did. You introduced me to it. I think. Yeah. Well, there was a guy from Mosaic who was uh, yeah. one of the writers and, but I just remember, you know, certainly falling in love with the way you guys uh, do ministry and just, you know, in such a different context, but even that kind of weekend just juxtaposed, like, um, you know, being aware of what's going on in the world. It's like, you can't really fully recommend Dexter. It's a story of a serial, serial killer, you know, right. but, but who takes out other serial killers. Uh, but it's almost like being aware of what's happening in culture uh, by creating, but creating a new culture. You talked about this yeah. new citizenship. You talked about spiritual architecture. What are some of the things that you've done there at Grace Point to take the church from where it was when you arrived to really create a new culture that's moving the mission forward. Oh man, I, I gotta say, I look back on some of those days with fondness as well, but mainly because of my admiration for you. And it's been awesome to see you in your leadership context and where uh, you, you spoke uh, well into me um, and continue to do so. Um, I think when it comes to spiritual architecture, spiritual kind of culture, it's all first it's built on values and direction and then it's built on what you focus on um 
you know, you can either look in the mirror and see a fat person, or you can see a person who has uh, a carving to it and you just have to whittle away some of the other aspects, right? It doesn't mean you ignore the fat that's there, but it means you choose to see the athlete or you choose to see the body that's underneath it. Um, when I came to Grace Point, there were some really beautiful things about it. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's a pretty incredible church. It's a really amazing group of people. There's this deep strand of evangelicalism in the most beautiful way um, that's here. You know, the C.S. Lewis, Johnny Erickson Tata uh, kind of strain that that I I love seeing Christ shine through people. Um, so you had that, but then you also had this kind of disconnect. You know, the mantra when I came, a lot of people would say, well, we're not the warmest of churches, but we teach the Bible. And uh, so I kept having this disconnect. Well, wait a second. When I'm in conversation, you're incredibly warm, and yet, uh, and yet you're you choose you, you choose to be cold when when people are coming in, and yet that's the very thing they need to see. And so we just created values. You know, first you create your values, then your values create you. Um, it was based largely off of our history, but also off of aspiration and what I saw in the church. And then it's been a relentless celebration of those values and systemically kind of saying, okay, that we're not yet who God longs for us to be uniquely. And um, I think being able to go, okay, this is who God has, this is who God has created us to be. Um, there's a lot of good churches in the area. God just, we're, but we're not them and they're not us. And that's a good thing. And so I think really getting people to see that um, that's how you, you, you craft it, you know, uh, and the family, I, if you boil it down to a family, we're about to come into Christmas season. So a lot of people love Christmas because they go back into those traditions, but those traditions are really built around what you choose to celebrate and who you choose to be and why. And so, uh, so we just kind of went back to basics on that and said, okay, this is, this is who we're going to choose to celebrate and we're just going to be intentional about it. And, uh, and also have a lot of grace because, you know, there's a lot of push and pull in the process. Yeah, that's good. Well, I know your first book, Unlocking the Soul of a City, had a lot um, about city strategy and and helping people know how to reach uh, their mission field, so to speak. This next book that just came out this year, Your Mess, God's Masterpiece, is about what to do when you feel trapped. And uh, ironically, you weren't talking about you know the house arrest that some might feel uh, during quarantine. You're talking about kind of those spiritual places where you are trapped. Uh, talk about what you share in your book and ways that we can help people move forward in life and not feel so stuck. Yeah. The, the, so this, the book really emerged because I was, I preached a message on Joseph and someone ran up afterward, um, a, uh, an agent and said, um, so many people need to know that and hear that. Cause it was mm -hmm. such a huge help for her in that moment. What I talked about was a lot of people think of Joseph as being a part of the perfect family. I mean, if there's a greater family on earth, I'd like to know what it is. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Like this is, you know, this is like, I want to direct access to God. Well, there you go. There's the family you're born into. But we tend to forget that Joseph was actually born into a really broken, blended family as well that was highly dysfunctional. And he had within him this longing uh, for greatness. You know, he, it's amazing. You know, he has zero discernment when he starts. And yet he winds up being one of the most discerning figures in world history. But when he begins, you know, it's all, well, let me share you about these dreams. You know, like, do you know who you're, you're looking at? You know, cause these guys are, are not friendly with you. They're your brothers, but they don't necessarily value you. 
but he has this longing for being valued and he's deeply lonely. Um, I think a lot of people feel stuck in their circumstances and in their life. They, they, they have a longing in their heart. Maybe they have a dream. God, I'm built for something more. Uh, I don't know how to get there. And that is Joseph. And I, it just, the more that I looked at the, the life and the story of Joseph, the more that I realized, oh, this is us. And we tend to look at Joseph and think, well, that could never be me. I'm not going to be thrown into a cistern anytime soon. I'm not going to go to Egypt, rise up to be a second. You know, we think of all the cultural stuff that's there, but the pattern of it is very consistent in the Christian life in terms of development. You know, uh, Joseph makes this massive mistake. He has a travel coat he could wear, but he chooses to put on his coat of many colors. And he's going to go travel to a place where his brother's literally wiped out the residents um, earlier. And um, and then he has to go into Dothan. And here we have this theophany that meets him that says, you should, that's where they are. Your brother's over there. So God keeps him safe as he's going there. But again, just a lack of discernment. And now he's isolated. And you look at all these messes that he get. you don't get into a bigger mess than being trapped in a slave caravan, right? Like I can't, you know, isolated from your family. Now you have to serve a guy. His wife is after you. You make a good decision. You go to jail. What's up with that? If I make a bad decision, it's bad. If I make a good decision, it's bad. It, but God is doing something in that process. Um, he's, he's building a tenacity. He's building a humility. There's a period of time where Joseph is in prison and a baker comes and, uh, you know, can you interpret my dream? And this cupbearer comes, can you interpret my dream? And Joseph says, well, okay, would you remember me? At least remember me because I'm, I'm falsely imprisoned. I did the right thing uh, when you leave. And it's a two-year gap between that moment and the moment he's standing in front of Pharaoh. And so what do you do in a dark night where you're in a prison and it's a two-year gap? And, and what's happening there is God is saying, Joseph, I am going to have you be completely reliant on me for your identity. And so when he stands in front of Pharaoh, like this is his big moment, right? We all have this moment that God prepares us for. You either step into it or you don't. But when he steps into that moment, he doesn't even know if he can interpret a dream. Mm. The last dream he interpreted was from the cupbearer. And that's by God's grace. And so, but the beauty of that moment is he stands in front of the Pharaoh, probably dressed in Egyptian garb. And he goes, uh, I, I don't think, I don't know if I can interpret your dream, but I know a God who can. So why don't you tell me and we'll find out. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, it is a different Joseph. You would think cut scene, roll credits, end of movie. That's, there you go. He's made it. But then God wants to heal his family relationships. And how often do we feel like God's doing something in our lives? And we think, well, therefore my family will be okay now too. And it turns out a lot of them are the same. <laughs> it's still broken. And uh, the text spends just as much time on Joseph trying to figure out how to have discernment in moving forward with his family who don't even recognize him as it does in his journey of getting there. So the thing that strikes me about it is that it, it's very broken and very real. And yet God doesn't just res- doesn't just heal. He doesn't just restore God meets the longing of Joseph's heart, but does so in a way on a God-sized scale that Joseph can't imagine, and Joseph couldn't have got there himself. And God wastes none of the mess 
There's not a portion of the spilt milk, you know, Joseph's bad decisions, circumstances, bad decisions, boss's bad decisions. God doesn't waste any of it for what he wants in Joseph's life. And just to kind of, you know, the parallels to the time we live right now are pretty striking in COVID. Yeah. God's not going to waste any of this, man. God's not going to waste any of it. Yeah, that's good. And you may feel like you've been two years in prison, you know, like right. you said. Well, I love that. And, and you know, some of the the work you're doing there through your church, uh, what, are, what are some of the ways you've seen people take this message and, and find healing in the dysfunction, you know, for themselves, but also for their families? Yeah, well, we're, we're, seeing a lot of people grow in their faith and a growth in spiritual mature towards spiritual maturity is a process. The book outlines that process and there are different people who go, Oh, I'm here. Oh, this is helping me get over here. Um, we're all about that next step. You know, wherever you are pre-cross post-cross people tend to forget spiritual mature, spiritual perfection is not possible till you get to heaven. And we tend to equate maturity with perfection, but the Bible doesn't make that equation. The Bible says, no, you should be, you can be mature in this life. My, the expectation is that you'd be mature, which means that the issue of devotion is settled. And it means that you've been through a character, at least one major kind of character shift. There's been a major issue in your life that God has kind of put to bed. And that's never an easy proposition. It's just the journey of that is, is hard. Um, and it's in some ways cyclical. Now comes the next thing, but you just have a greater perspective as a mature believer. And the question of whether am I going to walk away or stay is really settled. So I think we're seeing that in, we're seeing healing in our uh, social relationships and people's lives here. People I think are getting a better perspective of the process and in turn helping others. You know, sometimes what you need, you know, when you're, uh, towards the beginning of your journey, let's say, you know, when you're a teenage Joseph, is you need someone to come along and go, I see what you're longing for. And I'm just, gonna, can I just help you? Um, maybe leave the coat at home this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and, and sometimes you just need someone else to go, it'll be okay. I see it in you too. And um, Joseph only had God to mm. assure that in his life. Ultimately, I think that's the place God wants us all. Whereas I think he wants our character and our identity to reside on his assurances, um, even if we don't receive it from others, helpful from others. But um, but I think God in many ways is saying, what if it's just me? Yeah. You know? It's good. Well, and, and that goes back to even what you said earlier. You know, your church is multi-generational. It's multi-ethnic. And uh, people coming in different places spiritually, but also politically, like yep. navigating the season. How yep. have you been able to keep folks focused on their identity as followers of Jesus? And, and even those who aren't yet following Jesus, like what we're about in terms of unity, what, what, have, what have you done to keep moving things forward and trying to help uh, keep those small groups from splitting into political parties or, or not meeting together, you know, working through the conflict. What are some of the things you've done to help with that? Well, you know, you know what this is like as a pastor, right? You, you hear the extremes and uh, no one likes someone who's in the middle. <laughs> you know, being in the middle is not a very popular thing anymore. Um, so we, uh, it turns out that it's, so we plan our sermon series out uh, in terms of teaching 
uh, a year in advance. We haven't had to make a single adjustment to that. And I know that's not, that's not to say that uh, we, we, the adjustments are bad. Adjustments sometimes are great, but God had really prepared us ahead of time. So I'll give you an example. So we're this Sunday, I'll wrap up a series on the Beatitudes. Um, last week we talked about peacemakers and um, you know, I had to stand up and go, you know, it's not blessed to the provocateurs. Hmm. It's not, but it's not like, let me throw some chum in the water and see who comes out. It's not blessed to the critiquers. And so what does it mean to actively make peace? What does it mean to step in that gap? But what does it also mean to reflect the one who made peace with us? That how we do something is as important as what we're doing, hmm. according to the, to the word. And so according to scripture. So <clears throat> I just remind people on both sides of the aisle. Look, if you, uh, there's a, bless are the peacemakers, right? Um, uh, for they shall um, inherit the, the, the kingdom of God, I think, something like that. They will be called sons of God. They'll be called sons of God. Thank you. So uh, the idea of sons of God, I just preached on this last Sunday. Sorry, I'm already (laughs) on to the next term. So the idea of sons of God is the idea of representation because it's actually sons and daughters, right? Other scriptures talk about all who follow Jesus are are sons of God. So um, it's a question of how do you represent? We think we know who the enemy is. If you're a Republican, you think all the, the Democrats are all the enemies. And if you're a Democrat, you think all the enemies are Republicans. But if you're a Christian, you think wrong enemy. There's a spiritual power behind it. That's the enemy, not the person. Mm-hmm. And so I just keep reminding people, um, look, remember the war is not against people. You cannot dehumanize or devalue people. Listen to the longing. Even mm-hmm. if they're on the extreme, listen to the longing. And if you're a Christian and you're in, a, in that view, whatever that view is, and you're being less than gracious, you're actually being less than Christ-like. Mm. That's not acceptable. So I think a lot of it is that. Um, I haven't really had to, you know, there's been opinions that have come my way, but I haven't really had to step into any major fights. Uh, we, we don't get a whole lot of fights here. Um, but yeah, it can get complex. You know, it can get one person saying, um, you know, uh, there's no such thing as racial injustice. Another person saying everything is racial injustice. Yeah. And, um, and this year in particular, I think the prophetic voice of the pastor, the kind of going, no, we're all accountable. Here's what scripture says. It's pretty clear on it. Let's follow the thinking through. Um, the benefit of that is that it, 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 I think our role becomes more of a call to pay attention to scripture and to be accountable to that first. Yeah, it's good. Well, I appreciate so much the the resources, not only the two books we mentioned, but you have two podcasts that you can find at winwin.com. That's spelled W-E-N-W-Y-N.com. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Seven Minutes on Earth and 128. What are those podcasts oh, yeah. about? Yeah. Okay. So Seven Minutes on Earth. So uh, my wife and I started this two years ago. It's about 40 episodes a season. Each episode lasts seven minutes, roughly. And it's how we process daily life uh, as citizens of heaven. It's, it's just, what does it mean to be a Christian kind of going through this? It started as us really wanting to leave kind of a legacy for our kids thinking, okay, they, there are certain things they may never ask that we kind of wish they'd ask. So let's yeah. preempt. 
I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's like, oh, remember this story or what about this point or what about this perspective? Um, but it, it, it morphed and it's, uh, it's very much, and we have very different perspectives. We vote differently. We, we're about as different as they can come. And yet we're very unified in our marriage and love each other and love the Lord. And so it's just about how do we process that? And then 128 is, again, early, we talked about, you know, what you celebrate is important. And it occurred to me, uh, we don't really listen to many stories of spiritually mature people talking about their journey toward maturity. You know, we talk a lot about conversions and maybe there's some great testimonials out there, but what happens once you're a Christian and, um, you know, how do you, how did they get to, to that point um, where it seems as if there's so much wisdom or discernment or calm or peace? Yeah, yeah. And so 128 is just about me interviewing in a longer form. Um, it takes about an hour. Uh, other people's journeys of faith and then kind of extracting the principles from that and sing some of the common themes, you know, story after story. That's, that's awesome. about, yeah. yeah, that's about 11 per episode, uh, per, uh, sorry, episodes per season. That's great. Well, I love about that. It's almost like, you know, every romantic comedy ends with the wedding, uh, but the real adventure actually starts at the wedding, you know, in that's many exactly ways, right. <laughs> you know, coming to faith is, is just, you know, always a remarkable story, but the adventure really begins after you say yes, you know, following Jesus. Well, Derek, thank you so that. much for the ways you invest in so many through these resources. Uh, you can find more of what Derek is up to at gracepoint.us. That's uh, point with an E uh, and winwin.com, W-E-N-W-Y-N.com. Derek, so good Thanks. to see you. Uh, Thanks, Derek. And great work. Yeah. Oh, and let me just say, man, I love what you're doing. I love what God's doing through Gateway. Just amazing uh, amazing to hear kind of reports and man, keep going. Let me just encourage you. Your voice is so needed in the world. And, um, I love what God does through you. I love the way God speaks through you and through your ministry. Well, you've always been such a great encouragement. I love that about you, Derek. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the post Christian podcast, more resources available at ericbryant.org.